Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a rock star. I mean, literal, literal rock star on the show. I have the, the one and only Dr. Tracy Jones. Stay with us. You will not want to miss this. And share this out. Share it out to all of your social medias. See you in a minute. I am so excited about today's guest. Let me bring Dr. Tracy Jones on. Dr. Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. It is a tremendous honor to be here and with all your guests today. Oh my gosh, I can't believe. You know, <clears throat> I have heard Jeffrey Gittimer talk about your father Charlie Tremendous Jones. Like literally, I'm not sure I've ever had a conversation with Jeffrey where your dad's name didn't come up. I believe it. Uh, he loved my father and Jeffrey was uh, the Jewish son my dad never had. <laughs> <laughs> That's so they got each other and, and Jeffrey has just uh, you know, since my father went to heaven in 2008, uh, Jeffrey has just been such a, an incredible part of the legacy. So he's my brother too. Uh, uh, we love Jeffrey for sure. And then Mark Victor Hansen introduced you and I. Mark, who, who doesn't Mark Victor Hansen? Just even knowing him, it's like the, um, when the, when the water rises, all boats rise. Just yeah. even knowing him, he will connect you with so many people. It's just, and that's for the listeners out there. That's how we connected. Half yeah. the people that I talk on my show and have on my podcast, they're like, how did you meet Mark Victor Hansen and connected? <laughs> And he loved my father too. And he was telling me they sold like millions and millions of books from the stage and ah, oh, good times. He had, I, I forget the exact story, but Mark, Mark had a story about, um, about your dad saying, um, he was, he don't tell my wife, but I'm selling these books at half price or something like that. I forget. I forget what it was. It was funny story, something like that. But so, so, so Tracy, you, um, have had an amazing life, a tremendous life, some might say. Um, and, and, you know, I'd love to hear how it all started for you. So where were you born and raised? Born and raised in Campbell, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Harrisburg. Uh, so, which is, uh, those of you not familiar with Pennsylvania, kind of halfway in between Philly and Pittsburgh and southern part of the, southern part of the state. And, uh, you know, my dad was from Alabama, southern gentleman, and my mother was from Lancaster, uh, Gloria Burkhart, sweet little Mennonite, uh, beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed, kind of very, I always thought of them as Ron and Nancy Reagan. Dad was the tall, dark one, and, and Gloria was the Nancy, the petite little blonde-haired, blue-eyed. And uh, uh, Charles moved up here to Lancaster and um, crashed a Franklin and Marshall prom because my dad flunked out of school in the eighth grade. So he was, he was a, a tough little scrapper, a tough, tall scrapper and asked my mother to dance. And uh, 13 weeks later, they eloped. 
and uh, she paid for the $2 wedding uh, certificate. He didn't have a car, he didn't have a ring, and, and, but she was in love with him. And so uh, he married a Yankee woman and had six Yankee babies, but Charles was always <laughs> So that's where I grew up. And then they, they moved. They were, uh, I'm the fifth out of six. So the first four uh, grew up um, uh, Lancaster and outside of Camp Hill. He was with Mutual New York. So they moved him from a district office from Lancaster over to Harrisburg. So that's where uh, my little sister and I were born, outside of Harrisburg. So the, he had he had no money when he got married. No nothing. money. And we, we talked about in the little love of God that just came out. He's like, Gloria, he asked us to elope. He didn't have any money. He didn't have a job. He didn't have a car. He didn't have $2 for the marriage license. And she said yes. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's love. It is love. <laughs> and I'll always remember my mother whenever I, you know, she just passed in 2019. So I moved back to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania after my uh, father emigrated to heaven. Uh, just because that's a whole nother story. Um, but I got to spend time with my mom and I would ask her, you know, what was it like? Because I, I left Pennsylvania after high school. I'm like, I'm out. I got to carve my own way. I got to earn my own stripes. And she was always just say, oh, your father. She goes, I was just along for the ride. And what a ride it was. So it was just a beautiful partnership. She believed in him. And he just, as a, as a young boy from a broken home, that he always says he didn't even believe in love. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in anything. But Gloria was the first person, a good woman, that just saw something in him. And that, the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. Well, so, and, and, and your dad is, you know what, what kind of, it, it, it makes me a little bit sad, but, but I hadn't, I mean, I had her obviously knowing Jeffrey for the past I don't know, four or five years that we've been friends. Um, I've heard his name a lot and I never took the time to go to YouTube and look him up mm -hmm. and until you and I talked on the phone and, and, and I, I post, you saw the post I did. Oh my gosh. I was like, you've got to be like, I love Zig Ziglar. I'm friends with Tom and, mm -hmm. and Julie and Cindy and Julie's a client of mine. And, 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 and so I've, I've always loved Zig and Jim Rohn and, and I watched your dad and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He's legendary. He is. And, and they, they counted him as one of the top 25 legends of personal development. And he, he had a quality about him and it's okay. Better late than never Jeffrey or uh, uh, better Ken, but yeah. I'm glad that, that you did that. Somebody called me yesterday. I saw an order come through on my website. And I talked them, I called them up because the new people, and I'm like, hey, how'd you find us? And they're like, we were listening to a motivational uh, video on YouTube, and the gentleman called out your dad, and we had never heard of him before. And then we went over to Tremendous Life Books, the YouTube channel, and they were, because they ordered like every one of his books and every one of my books. So I'm like, well, this is interesting, and I don't know this name. Wow. And so just like you, there are people still finding out. That's why it's so wonderful. We had all his stuff archived and digitized. But wow. I even have people send me stuff that they found of his from an old cassette that they had sent over. And he was just unprecedented in his delivery and how he resonated with the audience and just his pragmatic wisdom. He, he was he was a star like no other, for sure. And, and, and his humor. Oh, absolutely. So funny. <laughs> He said, at one point he said, people ask me what, uh, what did, how's he put it? Something, he said something about why, why do you have six kids or something? And, 
And and he said only have, only have six kids. Only have six kids. Yeah. That didn't he say because my wife hates kids. Yeah, he says, well, the reason yeah, we only have six because my wife hates kids. Yeah. And he was always so so funny and teasing Gloria and all his mother-in-law jokes, his politician <laughs> jokes, and oh I have and he has a joke book. He has he loved humor. Uh he, he talks about that's one of the therapies in life. And we mm -hmm. as speakers, um, humor is the greatest way to get people to identify with you. Because if I tell you something, if I tell you you brought it on yourself, you're gonna to wanna to punch me. But if I show you a story and identify with you and get you laughing, then you wanna hug me because you're like, oh. So he was the, and he's like, we're not comedians, okay? But we're, we're, yeah. we're humorist in that life ha has to have that, it's so bittersweet anyways. We have to find the joy even in the tough stuff. And there was nobody that did it like him. Because he came yeah. from some really difficult, difficult, tough things. He was phenomenal, and I've seen some of your your talks as well. And my goodness, the apple did not fall far from the tree. Thanks, Ken. That means the world. You're incredible. You're incredible. So, 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 talk about. You know, I, I remember when I had Julie and Tom Ziegler on on the show, and and I was like. What is, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like being raised in the shadows of somebody like Charlie Tremendous Jones. Like, what was it like for you um, growing up as a kid? Was it, was it always funny? <laughs> well, I tell people it was like a cross between boot camp and a sitcom. Okay, so really it was it was hysterical and there was never anything normal. That's some people are like, oh, I just want to be like everybody else. I'm like, why would you want to be that? Because he was always so out there and you knew wherever he walked into a room or ever someone passed within 50 feet of him, there was going to be some kind of a crazy wild interaction. Uh, now, as a teenager, I I abhorred this because as a teenager, you just want your parents to be normal and not weird because yeah. you don't get how being an odd duck is such a cool thing. And yeah. so I remember I'd just be like, um, you know, dad, can you please just be normal? Just this once. We were going in for a PTO conference and I'm like, please just just be normal once. And and he's like, what do you mean? This, and, But for him, normal was tremendous. And so we were always very uh, disciplined, though, because he was he was a hard taskmaster. It wasn't all joking. You'd laugh, but then oh, you get right back in the game. Then you're crying and then you're laughing and then you're crying. And it's not bipolar. It's life because life has these pendulums. And I can remember, uh, you know, as a little girl, he had me read, I think, How to Win Friends and Influence People and do a book report before the pokey little puppy. You know, and wow. we'd sit at the dinner table and, you know, as a kindergartner, what do you want to do with your life? And I'm like, I want to make it to first grade. So he just really imprinted on us at an early age. Always be growing, always be learning, always be embracing failure because that gets you to um, the next level. But I got to tell you something. OK, so and he says he never meddled in our lives into which we would always laugh and go, oh, OK, whatever. And then he's like, well, I would do a little spiritual meddling. But one time. He signed my little sister and I up for charm school, okay, as if we're not charming enough. But I was a tomboy. You know, this is back in the 70s. We didn't even have blow dryers. or We just were, were little tomboys. There's nothing yeah. good now. And I still am, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm from Pennsylvania, so I'm 51 redneck Pennsylvania too, okay? <laughs> so this is, this is who I am, and I love it. Um, but he signed my little sister and I up for charm school. 
And I think I was in 10th or 11th grade at the time. My little sister was three years younger. And so he's like, I'm not going to tell you what's going on, but he dropped us off at the mall. And we found out this was charm school. Well, we're not debutantes, okay? And we didn't play with dolls. And we were always out digging, playing with the boys in the neighborhood. And, you know, that's how it was. So I was like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, okay, I'll learn how to try and walk and not chew gum and cross my legs the right way. Like cotillion, which is a beautiful thing. And, um... And so uh, we would go to it. And then we found out at the end, there was going to be this fashion show in the mall, you know, because that was all the craze back then where we had to like walk in it. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. P people are going to think, you know, and I wasn't cool. I was like the biggest dork nerd. And I don't like have a date until I was like 20. But I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't even have credibility. What little bit I have will be shot. Okay. So my little sister and I would get dropped off at the mall. We just run around shop at Spencer's or whatever weird store was there. And so finally we knew the day was coming when the fashion show was coming and we had to break the news to our mom. And we said, mom, and we told a little white lie. We said the girls were mean to us. And so we just opted out. My mom's like, okay, I'll let your father know. So a couple months go by and we're like, okay, we dodged that bullet. Everything's cool. And, um, you know, my dad finally asked, hey, whatever happened with that? And Gloria explained, hey, the girls did it, but it wasn't really their thing. And my dad just was like, mm, okay, nothing was said. But growing up as a young woman, okay, whenever I would meet, be talking to a, a, a gentleman or whatever, talking to them, yeah. my father would immediately come over, interject and say, did she tell you that she flunked out of charm school? And I was like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, and I'm like, I didn't flunk. I quit. And he's like, even worse, you quit. And it's like, he never, ever. And I said, no, I said, Dad, why did you do that? Aren't we cool enough? You know, we had good self-esteem. We didn't have to be all, all, all dolled up. Right. And, uh, you know, that's for when you're an adult. Just let a kid be dirty and grubby and be right. a kid. And uh, he's like, well, I just... I just thought you guys would would like this. And I'm like, man, we, you had us traveling all over the world, seeing all kinds of things. We didn't, but it was sweet. It was sweet of him. And, and so that, but he would never do that. Did she tell you she flunked out of charm school? That was, that was the line everybody got. So he was, he was crazy. He was crazy. Oh, Fearless. And, uh, and we always worked. Our summers were getting packed up in a VW bus with a pop-up trailer, six kids, two adults, and a ton of books. And wow. we would drive from Canfield, Pennsylvania, out to Knott's Berry Farm in California, to the Grand Canyon, down to Mexico City, Mexico, with books. And Charles would speak, and we would work the book table. We'd oh be my gosh! And so our summers were working, but fun. So I always grew up with this blend that work and fun—you don't separate the two. You don't wow. take vacation just a vacation because you're still connecting. You're still working. And it was it was really brilliant, and I'm really thankful for that because I never looked at wor my work life and my my personal life as very dichotomous. I always knew you had to blend them. Yeah, and that was a really important truth as a young person growing up. Wow, that's amazing. So, um, <clears throat> and I'm popping some of the comments up on the screen. Um, yeah. So, so somebody, and you're in, uh, you're in Harrisburg. Joan, Harrisburg. Joan, is asking, Joan is in, I think Joan is in the Harrisburg area. Um, isn't Don Shin over there too? Don Shin's there. Don yeah. Shin's yeah, yeah, yeah. Don's a good buddy of mine. I, oh, well, him nice. and I, him and I are in Jeffrey's mastermind together. There you have. Well, he brought Jeffrey in like 10 years ago and Don, uh, dear friend of the family for many years. Oh, I love Don. He's such a good man. Love that guy. So, so <clears throat> wow. 
Um, oh, Joan is near Philly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, what a crazy, but fun. It was fun, right? Like, but but it just sounds like there was like a hundred miles an hour. <laughs> it was. It, it was, and it was, and yeah. he, um, he took. Uh, there wasn't a lot of downtime. You know, uh, you were working. Um, there was no summer vacations where you went to work. You went to camp. Yeah. Um, you got a job, and uh, there was. He took the TVs out of the house and put them. Got rid of them all when we were in like high school because he's like, look, if you got downtime, you can be volunteering, you can be working, or you can be reading. You're not watching this crap on TV. And that was back when there was nothing bad on TV but like Donnie and Marie and like comedies. So, but he was like, don't trash in, trash out. And so I'm like, Lord have mercy. But you know what? Yeah. Up until we're 18, he was just very hands on about making sure that when we left the nest, we were going to be. Um, we were going to be grounded in, in the right things because he knew the world was going to start taking swipes at us yeah. and trying to blindside us and con us into a bunch of trash and nonsense. And the other thing he always told me was, Tracy, um, you have to go out and you have to earn your own stripes. You can't live in my shadow. And so. Um, Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. See, that would be the hardest thing, I think, that Joe, Joe City. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I don't know. I was outside playing Joe. I just I couldn't stand. I was out reading a book in the field because I was fuming that there was no TV. Or I sneak down to my friend's house to watch like Buck Rogers in the 25th century or something like that. That's a funny question, though. Yeah, leave it to Beaver. And, yeah. Um. So so, you know, it's it's that would be so difficult. I, I mean, having a father so big. I mean. Look, I watched that thing that I posted. I watched that and I was like, my gosh, he he's brave because he said some things from that stage talking about being conservative and, and you know, he said a lot of things from that stage that if you did that today, you, you, I mean, I don't know, but it was. Oh, sure. He was I, fearless. Yeah. But you know, yeah. why, well, you know why he had so many people from different uh, political, religious from different groups because his point was, this is my worldview and my grounding. Yeah. You gotta know where you stand. So he was never in your face. You know, he would joke his his one line about, you know, I know that liberals lie just like conservatives lie. It's just that I like the conservative lies a little bit more. So that's <laughs> and then you're like, okay, he knows yeah. he that this so he would say things that he would never vilify what you were about. Right. He just said why he believed what he believed. And like yeah. God, he's like, listen, you may not believe in God, but then you got to go all in with that belief. And I am all in with the belief that there is there is God. And he talks about that extensively because I'm like, oh, Dad, how can you keep talking about God? And this is these are secular meetings. And he's like, they don't have to ask me back. But when you're talking about motivation, and if you have your faith as a cornerstone for that, for you to not share that, you would be completely disingenuous. And then people can go, all right, well, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are atheists and don't, okay, that's fine. They know where I am. They know where my light, where I attach to, and that's okay. They know that. But his point was always, um, I'm, I, I got to let you know, because you're looking at me and you're wanting solutions from me. And yeah. so as a researcher, he just would fully disclose his researcher bias and say, hey, 
I'm a product of this, and this is what I believe, and this is why, and this is going to code and contextualize everything that you're going to hear from my mouth, which is really pretty, uh, pretty progressive in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, it, yes, I, I, he was, he, his message was so, I, I literally, I can, the, you know, I, I have a hard time remembering exactly what somebody says, but I always remember how I felt. And, and, and I know that that also goes back to that old cliche, but I really do. I can read a book and not recall a lot of it, but I, you know, I can remember like, okay, that made me feel like this. And, and this is the action I took as a result. It was a phenomenal thing that I, I posted on Facebook. But so, so let me ask you this. You ended up like you ended up going to college. Correct. Where'd you um, go? Went to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs because he was like, earn your stripes. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going into the military. And part of that was uh, he went, uh, he, my dad was such a patriot. He just, he would always say, yeah, I can write a book about what's wrong with America. And I can write a library about what's right about America. And I used to think, whatever, whatever, having lived all over the world, there, there is no more truer statement than that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I can always tell if somebody hasn't traveled by how they trash their own country. I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay. We're not, <laughs> hey. but nobody on this planet is. So let's just, let's just, you know, yeah. not the baby out with the bathwater. But he <laughs> went down to uh, New Mexico military Institute in Roswell, New Mexico to give a speech. And so he came back and there was a flyer laying on the kitchen table. And uh, he's like, Oh, Tracy, these kids that go there, they're really going to make something of themselves. And then he walked away. So that was me being the guinea pig. I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, I want to go there. Okay. And I had traveled out West extensively and just, I love the West. I'm a cowgirl at heart. Dad was a cowboy, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. So I had heard about Annapolis and West Point, you know, cause they're, they're close by to us. And so I've always loved space and I always want to be an astronaut. Okay. And so I'm watching Richard Branson and Elon Musk and I'm like, mm. Oh, it's coming. I just got to sell more books that I'm going to go into space, you know? <laughs> and so, and so, uh, I, I looked into that and, um, I saw it was in Roswell, New Mexico. And so I applied for it and I went to school down there, um, just on a thing where he said, those kids are going to make something of their life. And I was always like, uh, I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do. I'm more of a life is a journey kind of person, but yeah. I always thought I wanted to make an impact and be purposeful and live a life of significance and help other people. So yeah. I went from there and then in the process, after I graduated from there, they said to me, do you want to go to Annapolis or West Point? And I'm like, I really like the West. Isn't that crazy? Mm. Okay. I mean, I love my country, but I also am really digging this part of the country. Yeah. Like, well, the Air Force Academy uh, has been around and they, they're open to women now the past X number of years. And would you like to get in there? And I'm like, yeah, let, let, let's see, see that. And I had this dear gentleman, uh, Major John Schaefer, that got me an appointment to the Air Force Academy and boom, then I went to the Air Force Academy. So isn't wow. that, and I showed up there and it was just, I just, it just, my my advice to people is even uh, you know we're all about setting goals and and but even if you are just looking for opportunities even if you haven't outlined your vision board exactly where you want to be because i hadn't even thought about this but if you just keep open to opportunities um and saying yes to things and i thought well i don't know if i can make it i mean i liked my year at nimi it was a great year um, but this is four years of military academy. I'm not sure if I can do it, but I'm at least going to try. 
Yeah. Um, so one thing I learned was um, uh, regret is worse than failure. I would rather try and fail than regret and be like, well, what if I would have, what I like, because regrets you don't come back from. Failures you bounce back from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that was that. So I went, got, went into the military and the Air Force and got commissioned in 1988. And then it was off to Shaw Air Force Base, worked on fighter jets. There's the F-15E, F-16s. So I was an aircraft maintenance officer. And really? Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, the Bosnian War, lived wow. in Italy, Turkey, um, Germany, RAF Lake and Heath, and then um, came back to the States in 2000 and got out. I moved to Austin, Texas, keep Austin weird. And I, and I went into high tech with applied materials did five years there. And then I went um, to St. Louis and worked for Northrop Grumman and the National Security uh, Agency. So, you know, just, I like trying new things. Wow. You worked with the NSA? Yeah. Yeah. As a, in St. Louis, and they had a National Geospatial Intelligence Agency West. There's one, of course, on the East, East Coast. Wow. Um, in Bethesda, but now, and it, it moves since then, but the big wow. map agency. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so wow, I'm you go. Project manager. I'm I'm kind of analytical by nature. I like structures. I like rules. I'm a rule abider. And wow. uh, then when the opportunity came to move back and run a small niche publishing company, I had to dig deep and see if I had my uh, my right frame, my creative side. So that's where mm. I've been since then. So so um, I my my brother-in-law flew F4s in the Air Force, and my oh, nephew. Oh. My nephew flew. His son flew F-16s. Who no. now flies? Yeah, and he he now flies for Delta. He's okay. like, talk about a night and day difference. Absolutely. Well, yeah. at Shaw, they were just transitioning out of the F-4s and yeah. bringing Vipers, and I mean, yeah. people were in tears. We had the Warthogs, the A-10s there, my favorite yeah. plane, and uh, that was really an end of an era when we said goodbye to that four. That, yeah. that was a workhorse. Yeah. It it was loud. Yes, it was. I remember it was very loud. <laughs> very loud. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, so um, you have done a lot. What, at what point did you get your PhD? I got my PhD in uh, 2019, the end of 2019, because so I'm back here, I'm in leadership, and I noticed as I was out speaking, more and more people in the audience had a PhD. And I thought, well, uh, I love continuous, I have it, since my undergrad got an MBA, because I thought I'm eventually going to be running this business. So I, I want to know how the mechanics of finance, I don't want to run out of money and uh, know how to uh, do the accounting and, and the business side of it. Um, but in 2015, um, I started the journey because I thought, uh, you know what, actually, I pivoted on pain, you know, we're supposed to pivot on purpose. But I had been running tremendous leadership for about six years. And it was not happening. And I was just feeling lost. And for many reasons, many of my own getting in my own way. And right. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go back to school and get a PhD because if I'm going to be a leadership expert, I should have the terminal degree in leadership. And at least I'll get a book out of it. You know what I'm saying? I'll, have, yeah. I'll be able to write my book, which I did. So I went back and the most unbelievable thing happened. I understood the science behind all those 20 years of trying to lead people good, bad, and ugly, why certain things work and certain things didn't work. And I really understood the grounded literature and the grounded research of the science of leadership. You know, we all know with the, the esoteric poetry, but there's a lot of plumbing. And so that was really so cool to go back and go, 
man 15 years ago when I came in and tried to enact this change as a newbie. Wow, wow, this is why it didn't take, or this is why it was time to leave that organization. So it was just a phenomenal experience. I learned so much because people are like, you've already written seven books on leadership and worked in it for 20 years. And I'm like, and I have barely scratched the surface. You know with leadership, it's like life. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, and the more you want to learn. And so yeah. I'm just so thankful for that experience. I, I told somebody yesterday, I said, you know, I just, I, I think I'm like most humans. There's, I vacillate between one day I know everything, the next day I know nothing. <laughs> it's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, so, so when it comes to the leadership, I'll say genre, um, like where, what what is your target audience is it big corporations is it small mom and pop businesses well yeah big corporations are phenomenal i've worked in fortune 100 companies i've worked in the biggest bureaucracies all over the world the issue with bureaucracies is the bigger they get the more bloated they get the more entrenched they get it's like the parable of the mustard seed. It grows up and a beautiful things nest in it and a lot of trash does too. Um, it, I have found that with most bureaucracies, people tend to be there just punching the clock until they retire. We call them navel gazers. They're just, you know, are, you, are they alive? Can they fog a mirror? You know, hey, this yeah. happens in the military too. Right. So I really resonate with very entrepreneurial groups that are realizing that the best is yet to come. And I finally had to realize in my leadership PhD, you know, there is no such thing as leadership without individual motivation. I can't motivate you. I can't. And my dad would always tell me that. And I'm like, but this is what you're doing for people. And he's like, nope, I'm just sparking them. I'm just igniting something laying dormant in them. But if that person or that organization will not allow themselves to be open to being developed, or realize that maybe there's things that they need to do, but everybody in the bureaucracies, they're, they're, they're tied to the bottom line. Yeah. So their focus is not on development and, and training. I don't care how much money you, it's on um, the bottom line and shareholders. I get yeah. it. That's their goal in life. Okay. Money makes the world go round. I get this. So our target market is people that, as my dad would say, work for a living, like commissions. You don't, you don't earn, you don't eat. What a beautiful yep. way to live. You know what I'm saying? Very industrious. So real estate, life insurance, direct marketing, any kind of any kind of organ, small to mid-sized businesses that are looking to grow and really develop their people and that have a purpose behind their mission-driven, but really for-profit. And of course, we have a lot of uh, non-profits too that are our customers as well. But very entrepreneurial in spirit and realizing that the, the, the mighty dollar is a sorry taskmaster unless it's tied to the greater good that you can do with the righteous use of wealth. So that's who we really resonate with. Wow. So, you know, I've always said, and I've proven myself to be wrong about this, by the way. So as a, a business owner and, and, and leader for 30, almost 30, 25 years at least. And, you know, I've always had, I think I think I have an issue with always seeing the good in everything and everyone. <laughs> I, don't, I try to find the good in every everyone, and and so 
I've always said people aren't, I don't believe that people are lazy. Like you could see the laziest person on the planet and go, I, I would look at them and go, they're not really lazy. There's they're they're lacking direction. They're lacking a, a, a major definite purpose in life. That's what they're lacking. They just don't have drive to get them there because they don't have anything to go toward. What do you think about that? So let me ask you this. If you came up to them and you were God and you knew exactly what you wanted them to do and could find them the provisions, do you think that they would do it? If I was God? <laughs> I mean, I, I would do probably want to... Do you think that they would get up off their duffs and take action and do it? I don't know. See, that that is that is the thing. I know. And I thank you for being honest, Ken. Listen, I, you and I, and why doesn't all the world read tremendous books? All the answers to all the problems in all the world are there in these tremendous books. But why don't people do it? Okay. Because they do not want to accept ownership for what's going on. Because it's so much easier to blame the government or religion or history or my parents. That is such a lazy way of doing things. So we provide all the great insights to people, okay? And we are responsible to people. You share knowledge with people. That is our responsibility as fellow human beings. But I'm not responsible for you, okay? Bob Bird taught me that. You then have to pick it up, put it in your heart, and do the work. Okay. Yeah. My dad would tell me you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can't. Right. And right. some people look, I have friends that have literally died because they would not stop doing what they knew was going to cost them. The thing. There's a great article uh, on Forbes called um, change or die. Change your what? Change or die. And it okay. came out, I think in 2019, you can get the PDF of it. And it it's a study of, uh, a group of people that have chronic heart disease and have to have heart valve replacements. And they come back afterwards and say, now that we've done this, if you don't change your unhealthy living ways, you're going to die. Out of nine of those people, how many of you, how many do you think change? Out of nine? Um, I'm, I, this is so sad to say this. I'm going to go with one. Correct. Oh, that's and why so is that? They were giving everything they need, coaches, you name it. But if you don't intrinsically light your own fuse and make it's choices, choices. But, but Choose, yeah. I, I, okay. So let's just, let's just banter with this for a moment. Bring it. I love it. <laughs> I, bring it. I love it. Yes. But, but, you know, I, okay. So I, I, I do. So what you're saying is people, most people just won't change. They right. won't change. They won't. However, I'm thinking here, I, you know, I'm a recovered alcoholic. I have 19 years sober in August and by the grace of God and a lot of hard work, but I changed. I changed. Oh, oh, right? no, no. You can change. I yeah. can change. Let, let's change your word. I can't change you. Only you can change yourself. Great right. point, Ken. Great point. Right. And I have, I have a brother that died from alcoholism. Why? Uh, he could not change. I've seen so many. So, I mean, you, you know, 
you're right. People can change. I change. I reclaimed my health three years ago. I was on the road to demise. I cleaned up my act too. I had a lot of bad habits. No, but only I could do that for myself. Yeah. People over me, people saying, I'll support you. I'll do this for you until you make the decision. So people can only change if they themselves, if they themselves want to do it. You're absolutely right. But most people, I mean, it's in the Bible too. Jesus even says that uh, the way to heaven is broad. Very few are going to make it in. What does that mean? Yeah. It means most of us are not going to care enough to yield and submit to our own desires to live the way we need to live. That's in our nature. That's so true. Yeah. So true. It's so true. We don't stop sharing. It doesn't mean that we don't stop pouring into people. I'm sure before the spark went off in you, it took years of you hearing things, knowing in the back of your mind, this is not going to end well. Me too. I kept thinking, yeah. Tracy, you, you've got to get it together. You've got to get it together. And then finally in 2015, I was like, I'm in such a place of pain, spiritually, mentally, financially, physically, and health wise. I'm, I'm done. And I start, started, I started pulling all together, but the only wow. person that could do that for me was me. Yeah. Wow. But is there, is there, in your opinion, is there, is there a way to, I guess if you knew the answer to what I'm getting ready at, you'd be like the wealthiest woman on the planet and you would not be available. Go on. Go on. Is, there, is, there, a is there a way to shock people into waking up? Like, like I know that I can't change you. I, I've seen this. I've seen, I've seen your, I've seen, I've sponsored your brother in, in the fellowship of recovery and, and not literally, but you know, men like your brother and and then end up at their funerals because they just couldn't stop and and i i, I always was like what why why did you knew I like, know. Why? especially from somebody like you or me that has made that well i'll say uh a part of it is grace by the grace of god okay yeah, you, yeah. you gotta believe that there are miracles and grace because if you don't then honestly what does it matter if people die they're just going back to the dustbin. I, I don't mean to be crude or rude. No, you're right. And if we're all just animals, if my dog gets hit on the side of the road, that hurts. And if people die, okay, it's done. So let's get our heads around the fact that we are more than just cells and sinews walking around. There's this spiritual element that you hit the nail on the head. When we don't have our purpose, we fall into a tremendous dis-ease with ourselves that then becomes a disease. And yes. we mask it with booze or alcoholism or debt or negativity or whatever. Right. And I mean, all you can do is really get with somebody and just, you know, either it hit rock bottom, but just keep finding ways to give them that singularity. There, there's two, there's two real reasons why people change that I found in my dissertation. Okay. These two things have to happen before anybody makes any change. Number one, you have to see value in it. You have to see value in it. So the person that can't stop drinking, they have to really see value in living a sober life. And a lot of people, they don't want that. I'm going to lose my friends. What am I going to do? I like drinking. I mean, you know, I, I get that whole thing. All right. Yeah. I like hanging out with the bar. I'm going to have to get all new friends, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Number two, they have to have a reasonable expectation of success. So that's where your advocates come in and your resources. That's where I bring my intentionality to it, that I want to change, but then you have to have the external lifelines and the support network to make you happen because we can't do it on our own. 
We're not meant to do it on our own. Yeah. Spiritually or from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, yeah. a lone sheep is a dead sheep. So we have, it's this balance of, but you can have all the externals in the world. Like you said, sponsorships, all those things. I work with my brother. I said, come move in with me, come work with me, come, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I'll take all the lifelines were there. But until he saw value in wanting to change, it can't happen. The other thing is somebody can want to change, but if they don't have that support network, they're going to hit wall after wall and get kicked back. So you have to have these two things. But as for shocking, I don't know. There's just something that all of a sudden, what made you finally stop? What was the spark where you finally said, that was my last drink. I've never taken another one. Well, I didn't, I did that for the, for the record, I I didn't say that. I literally was like, I thought I was going to go learn how to drink like a normal person. So, um, but, but some, and I'm going to tell you because people are like, you need to get rid of your ego. It's it's an acronym for edging God out. And I disagree with that. And I'm going to tell you why my ego saved my life. And I had somebody, it's a long story I won't go into, but somebody said, um, you know what? And somebody I not necessarily respected on a high level, but he was a friend. And, and he said, you know what? You're nothing but a worthless drunk. And everybody around here knows it. Why don't you go get some help? And he got up from the bar stool in a very fancy upscale bar restaurant <clears throat> and walked out. And I was like, dude, I have a Mercedes sitting in the parking lot and you're getting into your Toyota. Excuse me. And, 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 I <laughs> and so I'm sitting yeah, there and then, yeah. And then like, it, it, I swear it was like a, a light shine down out of heaven. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking around at the people in this restaurant. And, and I was like, I hope they didn't hear what he just said. What if they did? Yeah. And I'm like, I think, I feel like everybody's looking at me right now. I'm like, Oh no, I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) And that was it. And and I got up and walked out. Okay. So I got to tell you something that and my dad would do that to people. I have men still call me and say, I was, I was about ready to give up, leave my marriage, quit my job, jump off a bridge. And your father called me and he yelled at me. He yelled at me and he made me cry. And I'm so thankful for that. Listen, tough love is still love. Yes. I a couple people that grabbed me by the scruff of my neck and said, who the hell do you think you are? And I was like, Holy crap. You know, fear is not a bad thing, you know? And so I'm glad that, you know, sometimes it comes to us, but, but that's where you have to be with people that are going to speak the truth to you. And remember, half the time Jesus was loving, the other half he was rebuking, calling yeah. people broods of vipers and stuff like that. Yeah. Throwing yeah. up tables, telling people, you're not going to make it. You know, so you've got to have those people that are going to call it. But thank God that you were open to listening and to absorbing that. And that didn't make you more entrenched. It gave you pause to go, holy crap. It, it, it is who I am. It's so hard for us to see who we really are. It, it bruised my ego. I say and that all the time. Yes. And I, I was, it, I, it, and, and look, I, I had been through marriages and many relationships, women saying, you need to do something about your drinking. And I was like, you're the reason I drink so much. <laughs> and so they would leave. Wasn't it and, weird? How somebody different says it and we're like, 
I know. I need to get to work on that. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, what a cool but, start. That happens, but that was that spark. That was that spark that you finally said, I'm done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so Tracy, you, um, you, so you, you obviously, um, have done well now with, with what you're doing. Well, I'm blessed in that we, we still have no debt. We have a tremendous group of unbelievable fans and yeah. I have enough every month to pay all the bills. So truly, okay. you know, I, I, and I get to go great places and see amazing things. So that's awesome. Place. Yeah. That's so awesome. I know we're running out of time. I, I want to ask you, um, and this is going to be 100% your opinion based on whatever you want to base it on, but it's your opinion. Um, what do you think holds people back from number one, financial success and number two, because I think these are related all actually, but um, number two, freedom in life. Mm-hmm. I think there's two things that do that. Um, number one, and again, you talk about mastermind groups, so I'll hit on that. But one of my favorite books is uh, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And he hits on two of the greatest things in there. Um, the number one thing that holds people back from anything is their thoughts. Mm. And people say, well, no, it's my feelings or my upbringing. No, here's the process. And this is science. First comes thoughts, then comes feelings, then comes behaviors. So if you're feeling bad, okay, you got to go back up in here and fix what's ever going on up here. Now, the problem is your conscious mind is so burdened and drugged down by trash, pollution, people saying bad things to you, you seeing things and getting your feelings hurt and not being able to, you know what I'm saying? Our own biases, assumptions, and blind spots. We create this story that our conscious mind grabs onto and just keeps playing again and again and again and again. Yeah. And one of the things that Napoleon Hill really talks about is your subconscious. And I had a dear friend of mine just share with me a couple weeks ago. He calls it an exercise at night. He called it the magic door. I call it the divine door. And before you go to bed at night, when your subconscious is about to whisk away, because inside of you is everything you need. The God seed, all the answers to everything you've been looking for, your true purpose. You don't have to go outside looking for it. You just have to peel off all the layers of grime and, and yeah. dirt and negativity and dig in there. That's why we have conversations like this. That's why we read great books, not to become smarter, but to unlock the, the intrinsic greatness that is within all of us. And so before you go to bed, I want you to think about tomorrow in terms of if tomorrow was the greatest day of your life, what would it look like? And start visualizing it and start thinking about it and start seeing yourself already there. So as a result, rather than going to bed, spun up, thinking about all the trash you didn't get done, all the idiots that cut you off in traffic, worry, worry, worry. Guess what happens to your subconscious all night? Oh, it's grinding. It's thrashing. You're having nightmares. You're restless. Your soul cannot rejuvenate. But if you think about, no, this is what tomorrow's going to look like. You just cannot believe you go to bed and you'll just wake up like it won't be an alarm clock. It'll be an opportunity clock because you're like, I got to get to work really doing this. The second thing. So first of all, you got to clear it up right here. Again, we talked about this. The external is the mastermind group. The internal and intrinsic is the internal locus of control is you and your thoughts as a man thinketh everything your greatest friend your greatest foe is right up here and we have this little reptilian brain which causes us to fight or flight or assign bs 
descriptions to things happening. That <laughs> yeah. Conclusion that that gland is right there, okay, or our pity party. But this frontal lobal cortex, which is billions of neurons that we haven't even dialed into, God gave us the mind of Christ. How about if we start trying to plug in a little? My favorite verse is Romans 12, 2, where, where Paul says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be renewed. Get your mind renewed. Okay. Mm. Once you do that, then that will start emanating and pouring out. You'll start drawing things that coalesce and resonate with that. Okay. The second part is the mastermind group. You hit on it. You can't get it right without the right people. And you need to have the you need to start surrounding yourself now, be in a mastermind group, be in a mentor, be it just your confidants, your advocates, yeah. your, your benefactors. They need to be right there to guide you, to be sounding boards, preferably somebody outside your family and your organization, because you're gonna need to talk freely. You have that and you let them share the burden. You know, Lena Horne has a great quote. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's how you carry it. Let people help you share the burden. And then you do your part with your clarity. And then you go to your group and say, hey, I need your support. Because they're going to be opening the doors. And they're going to be making you question yourself. We should always be suspicious of ourselves. Okay, Ken? Yeah. I'm all for a healthy self-confidence. But I also know out of 100 ideas, 99 of them are probably crap. So I need to really just vet myself. And I can't do that by myself. That's where I have my mastermind group or somebody at the bar that says something really punchy to me. And I'm like, <laughs> Look what that yeah. dad, that's what that dude did. Yeah. He did. But you were open. You were, you, rather than deflecting that thought, you allowed that thought to go right here and plant right here and that board out in your behaviors. So, yeah. Don't assemble people if you're not going to authorize them to speak truth into you because they're going to be like, forget about it. I don't have time for this. I'm going to go, you know, don't cast your curls among swine. Be open to absorb. Wow. That was powerful. That's, it. That's all you got to do. I want to I want to make sure um, and I should have asked you this before we got started. We were talking about so many things. What's your um, what is your um, website address? I want to pop that up on the screen. Absolutely. Uh, www.tremendousleadership.com is the website. That's where all the books are. Um, you know, if you sign up for our email list, you get two free weeks of ebooks, some tremendous ebooks, so you can start reprogramming your brain right away with As a Man Thinketh, Acres of Diamonds, Message of Garcia. Our podcast is on there, all our tremendous book. Uh, Sparks on there, my dad's stuff. And then Jones, uh, T-R-A-C-E-Y-C Jones, is my speaking website where I have my podcast interviews, courses, all kinds of different things. So Tracy. Yeah, Do I have Do I have that right? Tremendously. Yes, tremendous. You got it. You got okay. it. So yeah. one, mm -hmm. one, one last very quick question. I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this quickly, though, but we can try. Um, here's here's so that's tracycjones.com, right? Perfect. All right. Um, so everybody make sure you go visit those websites and sign up for everything. Everything. Um, unless you want to stay where you are. <laughs> then don't sign up for anything. Um, but <laughs> that's terrible. That's a good line. Hey. <laughs> But the people so, that are willing to sign up will accept that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, 2020 was a really odd year for a lot of people. And a friend of mine runs the suicide hotline for the state of Ohio. And and um, I know um, from conversation that suicide 
skyrocketed worldwide over the last year and a half. <clears throat> to somebody that might be watching us, listening to us right now, um, that may feel like they've tried everything and they just can't figure it out. They're at the end of the rope. The the knot they tied broke loose and they're they're slipping. What do you say to them to help them get through to the next moment? What I have to say to them is that the creator of the universe loves you completely. You are already counted completely worthy and whole. He is waiting to bring you into the fold to get your internal inheritance. And when you realize that and understand that the deep, unbounded, limitless love of God, you will find your purpose and you will, mo you will most of all be able to handle any hardship that comes your way because you know you have the creator of the cosmos that you are in the palm of his hand. And I'll tell you what, no matter what happens, I don't care if there's a million pandemics, I rest assured knowing that whatever happens to this body, it doesn't matter. Absent with the body, uh, listen, I'll go to heaven in a second. My dad's up there, my mom's up there, my brother's up there. I cannot wait to get up there. We're going to be having great conversations like this. So there, there is no love outside of the love of God. We can't love each other without the love of God. So, so yield yourself and just be open to exploring and feeling and experiencing the love of God. That's what I would say. Wow. Dr. Tracy Jones, you are amazing. You're a rock star. You're amazing. I love your energy. I love your message. Everybody needs to make sure that they follow you everywhere on Facebook, Instagram, wherever. Um, just make sure you follow Dr. Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y, C. Jones. Look her up and follow her everywhere. Thank you so much, Tracy. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, Ken, this was just so exciting and so great to get to know you. Likewise. Stay with me. I'm going to end the live stream, though, if you'll stay with me for a second. I know you have to go here shortly. So thank you, everybody, for watching and sharing this out. See you guys later.